State of Digital Publishing is creating a new publication and community for digital publishing and media professionals in new media and technology. In this episode, we speak with Jeremiah Oshen, SB Nation soccer editor and blog manager, about what sports journalism is like in the United States. Let's begin. How do you find the local community responding to the journalism and, and digital media efforts with SB Nation? And- At least in Seattle, people have been really welcoming and they kind of like what we provide. And I would say that the stuff I write about the Sounders is basically treated like mainstream media, essentially. But in a lot of markets, it's a little bit more uh, hit and miss. It's just kind of a hard balance. And I, I would say it depends from market to market. Sorry, I guess it comes from the fact that MLS has to compete with other sports because there's already like three or four main sports in the country that a lot of people, majority of people already tuned in and religiously follow, I guess, if, if for a better word. But yeah, so do you find that, that like states, the different states, like they have been more skewed just due to the emphasis of the main sports that they're following in their states? Yeah, I mean, I would say that's probably a big part of it, that it is somewhat about their allegiances are already kind of stretched thin. Like they're already, you know, Seattle Seahawks fan and the Seahawks season overlaps pretty significantly or doesn't a whole lot, but like all, like there's always a sport that's conflicting with soccer here. And there's always a bigger sport that's competing with soccer here. So you are kind of competing for hearts and minds, not just for among soccer teams, but among other sports, which poses its own kind of challenges. How do you think the other sports are able to capture the, the audience and get it, able to get their support Like, what it comes down to it? I mean, I would say the biggest thing is just that they have a big head start. Most of these teams have been around much longer than soccer has here, and they've just been doing it longer. And so by the time soccer came around, their allegiances were already set. And like, like I said, MLS is only about 20 years old. And so you're competing with leagues that were, you know, 20 years ago, they were fully matured, nationally recognized leagues. And beyond that, Major League Baseball is the best baseball players in the world. NFL is the best football players in the world. NHL is the best hockey players in the world. NBA is the best basketball players in the world. MLS is not, by any stretch, the best soccer players in the world. And so people in the United States are used to watching the absolute best athletes in their sport. And MLS isn't that. And then, so, you you know, we're not only competing, MLS isn't only competing with, with other sports, but they're also competing with the Premier League, which you can find as much, you can probably e- more easily watch the Premier League in the United States than you can MLS, at least in terms of, like, how many games are available on TV. You know, similarly, the Spanish League is, is basically ubiquitous. The German League is basically u- ubiquitous. Italian soccer is a little harder to find. So MLS is competing with the best leagues in the world for the same people. How do you think MLS as a brand is trying to tackle that issue and trying to grow their audience based on your observations? Yeah. yeah, so like their kind of value play essentially is that this is where you can watch soccer in person. This is where you can, you know, have, you can root for your hometown team. This, If you're a soccer fan in Seattle, you should be rooting for the Sounders because, you know, you get this great experience. Now, are the Sounders playing at the level of Tottenham Hotspur? No, they're clearly not. But you can actually go to a game. You can actually meet the players. You can actually, you know, have like a connection with the team and the players that you're not going to be able to have by rooting for a, t- a club overseas. 
How do you find? That? How long has that been the sort of the positioning, and how long and how do you, have you seen that the response being from that positioning from the local community? I guess I know you said it's going to be a bit various depending on the states, but yeah, just in general. If you can. Yeah, I mean, I would say like in so in Seattle, they've been able to success. You know, they came out of the gates pretty fast. You know, the Seattle team went into MLS in two thousand nine, and right out of the the gates, they were drawing thirty thousand a game, which is obviously a great a great crowd. And so there was a level of relevance here that there hasn't been in most cities, and that's slowly starting to change. You know, like this year we saw Atlanta just. It was their first year in MLS, and they went from having virtually no soccer history to drawing 70,000 people to games and drawing like 45,000 basically on a random Wednesday night. So we're seeing it change, but like in Seattle, I think that they've done a good job of putting out a good product, of making it feel like a major league sport, and just generally, you know, kind of engaging in a way that makes it accessible at the same time. Understand. Do you find that, like, for example, like Seattle and those areas which are doing very well, they have the history of people who watch other Premier Leagues and because they're looking for that local team, I guess. Is that can you say that they have that because they have that association and they look and then there's a local team which is you know strong and very good, then they're more likely to support that team. Do you know what I mean? Seattle has a pretty international population. Back in the old NASL days, there was a pretty strong following for the Sounders of the NASL as well. It's a nice balance because there's enough of an immigrant background here that they have this natural connection to soccer, but it's not such a new immigrant background that they are still, or their primary allegiances are, are to a team that's somewhere else. And so it's kind of the right balance, which is... You know, you don't have in every, which you don't have everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that if you can create an atmosphere in your local market that feels like a big deal, even if it's not at that same quality, I think a lot of people are willing to give it a chance. That makes sense. How is MLS trying to grow their audiences? Like, have they, sorry, I haven't followed it as much. What's the plan of it? Like, how are they trying to grow their audience? Do they have, like, their own media property where they're trying to grow, have news as well and cover everything also they do they have a editorial arm essentially that does a lot of their first-hand reporting so there's a website mlssoccer.com yeah. that is at least hypothetically somewhat independent of the league office and they have an editorial you know voice that isn't you know it's not a hundred percent independent but it is have they'll do straight reporting for the most part and then beyond the league generated content you know they have partnerships with the most of the big like fox sports and espn which are the two main cable sports networks here so they're on national tv a fair amount other than that they do a lot of kind of outreach to people like myself just trying to get us to like trying to make themselves accessible and kind of try to get coverage through access essentially so to the outreach sp nation and say you know we've got an exclusive piece around this player and stuff like that and then you guys would be the first person to cover it, or how would that be? What kind of example was that? Does the partnerships and syndication, what can you do Like, it's nothing quite that overt where, you know, like, I don't know that they've given us, an, like, a big exclusive on a platter like that, although I'm sure that they do stuff like that with even with bigger media properties. SB Nation isn't necessarily getting those big exclusives, but they, you know, if we want one-on-one -on -one access, they'll usually give it to us. And they're just, you know, I think mostly what they do is they give us access to things that we want for example so like if i want to interview like for instance i have a podcast and 
I wanted to interview the GM of the Sounders, the head of the front office at the Sounders. And they were able to, you know, get me 45 minutes with them. And I sat down in his office and we chatted for 45 minutes. And if I'm covering the NFL, I probably don't have that opportunity to cover the, you know, to sit down with 45 minutes with the GM of the Seattle Seahawks. I understand. Besides like interviews, could you provide some other examples to the SADP audience around the other types of content that you'd publish as a sports journalist? So we, you know, we'll go out to games. And so we have press credentials and we'll do first-hand reporting from games. We'll go out to training sessions, do first-hand reporting from training sessions. Like basically really anything that a mainstream journalist would do, we have the same kind of access to be able to do. So even like match recaps, interviews, yeah. like the first-hand journalism, is there any like campaign-specific like content pieces that you guys would run or is there any campaign-specific initiatives that you guys run around a spe- specific team or player or, or theme? I guess, for example, let's say there's been news around a specific player that has been succeeding recently. It's been a rising star. Around that, would you do like a content marketing campaign or something which would maybe chronicalize the, his history to how he got there and just promote that player as well because he's been a popular search increasingly trending player search player is that something that you can do as well? that's something that we could do i don't know that that's something that we have done certainly we've never done anything like that that's like a paid promotion but you know that's the kind of access that if we want to get we can we can usually get I understand okay because uh, like in australia soccer is used as a term for football, which is used for other countries. How do you think that's impacted the sports ability in actually getting more cover ground in America? Do you think that people should be start referencing soccer as football in America? Or do you, would you see any implications in, in that? Or No, I mean, I think that it's kind of a pretentious discussion, to be frank. Like, it's whatever we call it, soccer, football, I think it's usually pretty context-specific. And I usually, when I talk about MLS, I talk about, I use soccer as the term, but when I talk about European football, I'll use football as the term. And I don't find that the, I think you'll find fans of European football say things like it's called football. And for the most part, we'll kind of just laugh it off because it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous, like, honestly, it's just, I, I find it a completely pretentious and ridiculous, like conversation to have in earnest. I think that there's a time and I think I'll put it this way. If, Major League Soccer changed their name to Major League Football, and they made an effort to start calling soccer football. I don't think it would have any kind of... I think it would have probably a negative impact on the way Americans perceive it. Because at this point, I think Americans, for the most part, have accepted you know that we call football soccer and that we call football football. Unless it's, you know, outside of content, you know, outside of specific discussions it just doesn't really serve anyone's purpose to like kind of get into, you know, like you'll find people that insist on calling football hand egg or gridiron or whatever it might be. And it's like fine in those particular contexts, but I don't think that like a national campaign to change the name to football from soccer would have any kind of impact or positive impact. That said, most of our teams are technically, you know, Seattle Sounders football club, Vancouver Whitecaps football club, Toronto football club but for the most part they don't use the they like they use fc but they don't like formally call them football clubs yeah it's that thing itself is a very 
lengthy discussion or debate that you can have because I've also like heard people like saying you know because it's historically football we should return back to that but again I'm going to stay neutral for this conversation but yeah it's a it's a, it's a long conversation you can have about this. in countries where there is a more established football I think it makes perfect sense to call it soccer or to call it whatever you want I mean the fact that in Spanish-speaking countries they call it football and not football or in Brazil they call it football and not football like, every country should be allowed to call it whatever it makes most sense to call it. I agree, because you're, you're caring, at the end of the day, you're caring to a local audience, and that's what's going to help resound with a better team and grow from a grassroots level, I guess. Yeah. 100%. Jeremiah, I just want to finish off the podcast and our chat. Just in looking ahead in terms of what you see, the, some of the trends are in sports journalism, how you, things that you're looking ahead for, explanation, and what you think... MLS is looking ahead in, in terms of trying to grow the game and trying to improve journal, sports journalism overall. Yeah, so I mean, I think one of the things that SB Nation has been really effective at doing and one of the things that I think that we're going to see a continued trend toward is not just specialization, but people that actually are passionate and they care about the subject that they're covering. I think the days of, you know, kind of journalists in their ivory towers basically talking about the thing that they cover as if they are themselves above it and they don't themselves have a particular interest in the outcome, I think is something that is going to become less and less common. And I think it's going to become less and less a part of mainstream publications. And so my suspicion is that as we get farther and farther down this road, that people that are passionate soccer fans are going to be the people that are covering soccer and the sport just doesn't need people who are covering the sport as basically a favor anymore in the United States specifically. But I think even in countries where sports are part of the mainstream, I think that you're going to see the same kind of thing where if you don't really like the sport that you're covering, chances are you're going to be replaced by someone who does. And so I think that that's probably the single biggest change that we're going to see going forward. And I think that the and coverage is going to become more accessible. And that's just kind of the way of the world, that it's harder and harder to put up barriers to reading coverage, whether that's paywalls or subscriptions or whatever. But my hope is that we can figure out a way to, to monetize all of this through, you know, like through subscription, like through kind of voluntary subscription models and things like that. How do you think MLS is going to adapt to this community-driven approach, I guess? I mean, I think MLS is kind of on the forefront of it. There's definitely a challenge. I think MLS is just going to have to continue to scale and to continue to... Like, right now, there's this whole situation going on where they're trying to move a team. And it will be interesting to see what kind of fallout there is that because I think a lot of people feel like that's kind of betraying one of MLS's core values, which is that the community is really who owns a team, not necessarily an owner. And I realize that's kind of the way it is in most of the world. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see if MLS, how, you know, if MLS kind of gets away from that, how that affects the bottom line. And I don't know what the answer is at this point. That's a good point to end on to keep people thinking. And hopefully they'll come back and put some, leave with some comments or wish, uh, ask you that question down the track. So thank you very much for your time, Jeremy. I really appreciate your insights and your rundown around espionation and sports journalism. Thank you very much. Oh, it was my pleasure. Awesome. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the State of Digital Publishing podcast. Listen to past and upcoming episodes across all major podcast networks. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and join our community groups. 
Finally, visit stateofdigitalpublishing.com for premium information, resources, and become a member today. Until next time.